Hey, uh, welcome back. Uh, this is your Montre Bible. Yes, that's my real last name. Going to be uh, just doing a reaction video uh, to um, question the narrative. And the channel is No Place Like Home. There's No Place Like Home on uh, YouTube. Be sure to check that channel out. It's pretty insightful when we talk about history, uh, questioning the narrative. Have we been lied to about history just from the beginning? Um, and I have a lot of my own opinions <laughs> about uh, history and what we haven't been told. Um, if you've done some research on Tartaria, there's some videos uh, on YouTube about it. And you can, it's probably, like I said, I always go to Twitter because Twitter will post a whole lot more. Their algorithm is a little bit more open versus YouTube kind of picks and selects the, what it thinks you should see. Um, but, um, I want to uh, share this video with you today. Uh, I was watching in the middle of it and I said, well, why don't I just kind of uh, share it with you guys while I watch it uh, and give you my two cents. So with this, if um, just kind of give you a, an overview. Um, let's say history as we know it has been made up, like for real. Like they just put a bunch of stuff in the history books, but it's not matching up with the artifacts and the buildings that we see here in America. Uh, timelines aren't really making sense. Uh, the dates of things aren't really making sense. If you look at the big, bigger scheme of things, and maybe we just have been lied to about who we are, uh, this country, how long this country has been here, um, and what happened before. Was there another civilization here? An another built up country, not just Native Americans and teepees and, you know, roaming around. Uh, what if there was actual huge civilization, possibly by giants, because <laughs> they're like, whoa, Montre, you done gone off the deep end. No, but um, uh, a lot of the older buildings have huge doors and um, some of the videos, I'll, I'll find some more videos for you guys. Um, I don't want to go too much into it because there's actually several channels I would uh, recommend to you guys if you haven't seen it. Um, but let's, let's just do it. It's hard for them to come up with a reason to put someone into the lunatic asylum who was divulging information that they didn't want divulged, or maybe that these people just knew too much and they kind of wanted to tuck them away. So on top of that. So she's talking basically about right now, she's talking about the, uh, the many insane asylums um, across the, across the country in the 1800s. Some of them got torn down. But they were just, you know, uh, using them basically as prisons. And Natalie's saying the Book of Enoch. Yeah, the Book of Enoch, we can go religiously and, and talk about how many uh, things have been left out of the Bible itself. Uh, if you look up the Ethiopian Bible. With the cover up, then we also have the orphan trains. You know, when you link the, the history of the orphan trains with the, the people in the lunatic asylums, this yeah, you could certainly at least make the guess that many of these children were likely put on the orphan train because their parents were put in lunatic asylums. Um, that is that is one reason that all these children might have gone through this. But like now, for uh, for those of that don't know the history of the orphan trains, they were just just hundreds and hundreds of children. Uh, you know, we think about little Annie or orphan Annie. Um, there were so many children in orphans. Uh, who are orphans back then that, you know, it just became a common thing. And if there's one way you will change society is if you kidnap the children. I've been saying that I've been saying it from the beginning. I said it with uh, 
Black American culture? Why is it we don't have a, a native language or a native tongue? Because uh, I, a lot of the children were shipped away. Uh, a lot of the, uh, children in, in America were shipped away to different families. And that's how you totally reprogram a generation. You totally reprogram a culture. They're still doing it in Africa to this day. But this is what little, little Caucasian kids and uh, Let's just they were moved around as well. So it wasn't just black people. Um, step in the cover up, in my opinion. And also, I believe the orphan trains are part of the push for collectivism. And we'll talk for, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But anyway, um, let's see. Harold Williams was raised in Chicago, spoke only Polish until he started school and shared his foster parents' home with a little blonde playmate. In a Tribune interview decades later, Williams wondered, could that young girl have been his sister? He lost contact with the girl after he was moved to another foster home. He said, in those days, they didn't care about separating you. Williams arrived in Chicago in 1916 and was among some 200,000 children sent westward from New York between 1854 and 1929. Under a 1854, project that's a long time. That's a lot of kids. I'm telling you, you can change a whole society if you can change the minds of children. Still doing it to this day. TikTok. That came to be known as the orphan train movement. At least 10,000 of these children wound up in Illinois. Oh. Excuse me. Now, I do have to say that I've had many commenters tell me that the orphan train was also a thing. Um, I believe in England. It could have been in other parts of Europe, too. But I definitely remember people telling me that England had something similar to this. The movement was inspired by a lofty ideal. Instead of warehousing parentless children in orphanages, why not match them with families that wanted children? Parentless children. So, again, you have to wonder, where were their parents? 200,000 children. Many of New York's homeless children were the offspring of immigrants and sending them into the heartland would expose them to the civilizing influences of American life. Now, I bet you that was backwards. I bet you that's backwards because there was nothing civilized about America in the 1800s, uh, except for these, these ancient buildings that we keep seeing. Um, but most of the people were poor and farms um, moving them around, moving these kids around. I bet they came from high society and something happened to their parents. So argued Charles Loring Brace, who founded the Children's Aid Society of New York in 1853 and started the orphan trains. Who is paying um, for that? That's a lot of money right, to just be shipping to people. actually come down here now because this... Which, which is basically child trafficking. <laughs> it, it was way back then. And since there were no rules, you know, some of those kids got abused. I found extremely interesting to speed their assimilation. Many Orphan children trains. were stripped of information about their birth families, ethnic identities and religious heritage as they boarded the orphan trains. Remember, these are little white kids. They don't know where they're from. They were just, you know, they were stripped from their families and whatever culture they had, whatever language they had gone. So that's why no one knows who these children are, where they came from, where their parents are. Again, it smells of cover up. That would later trouble the orphan Williams. And as an adult, he tried in vain to discover his roots. I haven't the slightest idea of what my heritage is, he said. I'd like to have a birth certificate. I'd also like to know who that little girl was. And so that is really what happened with these orphan trains. 
Um, these children were just loaded up and just shipped off to families and no one knows where the children came from, who their parents are, what any of their circumstances were. So we've got another like check on the checklist here. So next in the cover-up is the start of the World's Fairs. And here is a list of all of the World's Fairs. Where they Now, for catch anybody up about the World's Fairs, the World's Fairs were all over the place. And they usually sp spotlight, spotlight, is that the word? Uh, these massive buildings, Romanesque buildings, uh, all for this World's Fair kind of thing and it happened all over the all over the world that's what they called the world's fair um and um it was a spectacle but the thing is usually after the world's fair was over they either demolished the buildings or there was a fire so really suspect on and these weren't just like <laughs> like uh wooden buildings or anything these these buildings were made out of stone so why destroy them where they were at and look at all these world years they happened in <laughs> As you can see, they're extremely extensive. And the interesting thing is that when things really started to seem to start to pick up, um, like towards the latter part of the 19th century, when it comes to what what would certainly seem like reset events, these the World's Fairs also started to pick up as well. And there were more and more and more of them. And these were not little county fairs. These were extravagant um, events that... I mean, look at all these in the 1890s and the early 1900s. So I'll leave this link too. But let's just look at some photos of these World's Fairs so that in case you're not acquainted with them, you can see what they were spending they all were their time and money and more, on at this time. Bigger and bigger, yeah. That's the Chicago this one. This is a photo from the Chicago World's Fair in 1893. They were playing around. That is actually a lagoon that was made specifically for this world's fair you just for the fair the architecture is out of this world and they they tried it looks like the vatican to tell you that that these buildings were all temporary and some of them were temporary yes some of them however were not and looks some like of them castle. in some areas are still standing today like royalty which kind of goes against the testimony that they were all built just for the world's fair well, then they had some really fantastic builders and technology that was unheard of because this is what they were presented with at these world fairs. And this wasn't unusual. Here we have, this is inside one of the buildings, I believe. Look at that. Here's some more. Yes, they were able to take boat rides at these world fairs. So what were the World's Fairs for? Well, I actually, my theory is completely different from what they will tell you. Um, my, my theory is that basically they were re-educating the population. They probably brought in a new wave of people and were re-educating them, giving them some just made-up history so that they could have some sense of belonging um, and thinking that they knew what was happening. But this was just, this was another push towards the collectivism that was going to end up happening. And interestingly, so this is a crystal palace and there were many of these crystal palaces at See, World's Fair. It's on and fire many now. Of these crystal palaces caught fire, mm -hmm. um, which is funny considering that they were basically built of glass and I think iron. 
So <laughs> how that burned, it was set on I'm fire. not quite sure. Um, and this really goes into the whole great fire narrative, you know, of, of the 19th century. All of these fires happening in all of these cities, everything being destroyed. And I have to point out that, is it this one? They even have some buildings this in Texas. This was built right after the Chicago fire. So this is in Chicago. This was built right after the Chicago and fire. So instead of them rebuilding their city, they took all this time to rebuild um, the, well, not to rebuild. Okay. So um, I took art history and there's something said to the style of the buildings. Most of them have domes. A lot of people are saying um, that all the Capitol buildings around the world are actually a part of this old culture that may have existed. We're just saying allegedly, you know, may have existed. We're stretching our mind a little bit. The history has probably been lied to us, but they all have similar, that dome effect on the buildings, especially in that one, most of the Capitol buildings, but there was also structures here, like I say, in Texas that had the same kind of style. And <laughs> Texas used to be Mexico at one point. So it's like, uh, it couldn't have been created by our present, country you know but there's a lot there's some old buildings that have been here for a while so uh before texas texas even became a part of the united states build but to build what they say was the chicago world's fair and what a lot of us believe is that these most of these buildings were already there and that they were kind of giving them one more send-off before they were going to destroy them because again this, this is what the reset was all about knocking us back down again uh-huh they're I trying to do it again. Might be thinking, well, not so fast, Shelly. You're you're exaggerating a little bit about this cover-up. Well, am I really though? Because here we've got the 1890 census fires, where they lost all the records in 1890. And 1890, I actually did a video on that as well, called the 1890 Enigma, and it's actually a pretty popular video on my channel because I pointed out all of the strange things that happened around the year 1890, if not exactly in the year 1890. And that really does seem to be the time that was like the end of the transitional period of the reset and was like just the start of the new beginning, so to speak. The new world. So here we've got the 1890 census fires. Because then um, in the 1900s, we started the Industrial Revolution. I don't know if y'all have been hearing uh, that they're trying to start the new Industrial Revolution. And I think it's going to be AI run. They're trying to wipe everything back out again. They're trying to wipe out the economy. They're trying to wipe out every country and make a one world kind of thing, you know. It is going to be run by AI. <laughs> Mark my words. And it tells us, I lost her in the 1890 census. If you've ever had cause to say this, you're not alone. Unfortunately, the 1890 census isn't the only major U.S. record set that's gone up in smoke. Other conflagrations have burned gaping holes in the collective historical record, most notably military service records for more than 16 million Americans and passenger records for a half century of arrivals to New York City. Yeah. Entire courthouse collections have been consumed, too, including vital records, probate files, deeds, court cases, and more. And, you know, if you actually go into these fires, you will find that a lot of times they will try to tell you that th there's always some sort of fireproof box that that is mentioned and how these records were kept in a fireproof box, yet they 
burned in the fire. So, yeah, they didn't mm. work very well, did they? Um, thousands of family history researchers cursed the loss of almost the entire 1890 U.S. Census. After learning of its destruction due to a fire nearly a century ago, genealogists quickly begin to skip that year in their record searches, turning instead to city directories, tax records, and other substitutes. So something happened in 1890. So 1890, that's a little turning point there where they just don't know where anybody came from. They don't know who was in the country, what year they were. I need to look at my family tree and see if I've got any records from 1890. I know I have some. I'll have to check later. You know, how black folks did stuff was a little bit different, you know. But then again, you know, census takers <laughs> kind of depended on census takers to be uh, marking the truth accurate, too. So you got to take that with a grain of salt. Institutes that might name it. Because my family name is spelled like four different ways on census records. <laughs> Bible, 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 Biblos, Biblia. <laughs> Ancestor during those key years between 1880 and 1900. So right at this pivotal point in history, census records up in flames. But that's not so all. I'll be a blended race. In 1897, it was on the cover of Time magazine. Oh. And all the records there were burned. <laughs> The immigration well, station for, at Ellis I'll, Island was only five years old when it burned to the ground on a summer night in 1897. I also believe that if you go to this one, they mention a fireproof box at some point. But anyway, I'll agree with you on on one point of that, uh, especially with with Black Americans. Is yeah, they wanted to put us all together as one big group. Um, I think uh, once again, I still follow the uh, out of America <laughs> Indigenous Americans. Uh, narrative. Uh, I follow Dane Calloway. Um, so I totally believe in, in, in black indigenous Americans here in the United States mixed in with some African. Um, but also I believe that because of that, we had different tribes here and um, possibly cities, you know, uh, if, especially if this is all true. If there was actual cities here before, which I believe that too, I believe that the Moors came from Europe into United States and built some things as well. So you said I mean, from my last name. And your family's from Haiti. Yeah. Especially most of black Americans, I'm gonna say most, but if you're down south, we all got some um West Indian in us somewhere. Uh there's a reason why they call it West India. Have you seen uh people in India? Like they they're blacker than me. Like their skin is dark. <laughs> I don't, there's some Indians that are super dark. I used to work at this one place in the IT, IT department. They were dark. I was like, man, they can't say nothing about me, man. Let's not forget what Ecclesiastes He's a brother too. Us. There is nothing new under the sun. But they consider themselves History Asian. is cyclical. You will see the same things over and over and over and over again. And this does not disappoint. Anyway. Remarkably, for a facility designed to accommodate up to 10,000 visitors per day and some overnight, no one was killed, but millions of records South were Indies, lost. Yeah. The story of the first Ellis Island is also a story about the federal government assuming control of immigrant processing, which was previously left to individual states. So here we have the governor swooping in and all of a sudden they're in control of all the immigrant But that's why I was thinking that they call... Black folks, West Indians. You know Indians. that any time that the federal government swoops in and does anything, it's not for our own good. 
Um, Castle Garden on the tip of lower Manhattan had opened in 1855 as New York's official immigrant station, but by 1890, there we go again, there's that year, it was clear the facility and its operators weren't properly managing the increasing immigrant traffic. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so anyway, yeah, we'll go down to the place. So this magnificent building, is it this one here? Yes. So here's just a photo. Of, and again, beautiful buildings that I don't think we had the technology to build that were already there and that they were oh. just using. And in but anyway, um, this magnificent building caught fire around midnight on June 15th, 1897. A watchman called an alarm after spot. And what's really funny is uh, anytime we say, well, who made all these buildings? They'll either say the slaves or they'll say uh, prisoners. Uh, but what was a major prison back then, like in the 1800s? I don't remember any major prisons. And there's no way you can just put a hammer <laughs> in a prisoner's hand and they'll know how to build a structure like that. They're going to need some kind Body of guidance. Flames dancing out of a second floor window. Newspapers reported that employees calmly evacuated more than 200 overnight detainees, including 55 hospital patients, to a ferry boat. Fireboats arrived promptly, but the fast-moving blaze gutted the wood frame building within an hour, then burned the nearby buildings and docks, too. Ellis Island remained closed, and immigrant processing returned to the barge office until December 17, 1900. The new fireproof red brick facility cost three times as much to build as its predecessor. Um, millions more immigrants passed through its doors. So let's see what was lost. What records were lost in the fire? Now that you've heard the story, the answer will make. And there's another thing. I don't know if y'all keep up with the Mandela effect or you see my Mandela effect videos. Um, one that's, that's a Mandela effect as well, that the Statue of Liberty used to be on Ellis Island. Now it's on Liberty Island, I think in this little timeline or whatever, but for the longest. And I'm still thinking like, why isn't the Statue of Liberty on there? Yeah. <laughs> because at one point I, through school, I could have sworn that Statue of Liberty was on Ellis Island, but that's not the case anymore. But that was, that's just a tangent Mandela effects. Will make more sense. Ellis Island passenger arrival lists from 1892 to hey, 1897. Singe. Again, those pivotal years, they lost all the records of the immigrants who came through Ellis Island between 1892 and 1897. They went up in flames. So did records created during the federal startup period at the barge office. Unfortunately, federal officials also had claimed the state of New York's Castle Garden passenger arrival list created between 1855 and 1890. So those are gone, too. So not only do we have the passenger arrival list from 1892 to 1897 gone. gone in a fire, we also have the passenger arrival lists that were created between 1855 and 1890. Boom. Those are gone, too. History rewritten. So... Then Children what's in moved those around. huge New York passenger databases you can search online? Are they missing early arrivals to Ellis Island and all who passed through Castle Garden? Happily, no. The U.S. Customs Office also collected passenger lists from ship's captains. These records have been microfilmed and indexed and now fill the holes burned by the 1897 fire. So, if you can believe that, that's what they say. And the last children. portion of the cover-up that I'm going to talk about today is the inception of compulsory schooling. Because, yes, I believe that a large part of the reason that compulsory schooling was invented was to cover up 
our true history. To re-educate. And again, we also know that it was for social engineering. And so, yes, that's another huge part of what I'm going to be discussing today. Public school, or um, better yet, known as re-education so camps. Schooling just changed everything in our society. Pre-compulsory schooling, there were there were community schools. You, you did not have to attend them. Um, a lot of children would only go for a few months out of the year, and they mainly just learned by helping out on the homestead or helping out around the house. And most children at this point still learned from home at least most of the year. Um, compulsory schooling changed all of that. So they kind of forced children out of their homes, but at the same time, they're, they're not only feeding them the narrative that they want them to hear, as in with the World's Fair, but they were also taking them away from precious training. Y'all should see, now these are just the little white kids. They did it with the little white kids too, but y'all should see uh, what Dan Calloway talks about, how they re-educated uh, Black Americans in uh the Native Americans that we know of mixed everybody together and re-educated them. So you want to change history, you got to change what the kids believe. Training that they had with their families. You check out Dan Calloway too. Self-sufficient. Because before compulsory schooling, people were very independent. They yes, grew and we their need to get back there. Their own clothing. Oh, that would be interesting. They grew their own food. They made their own clothing. They made their own soap. They made their own candles. They made everything. And we need even to get the back things to that. that they could not make on their own, they kind of swapped between a community. They bartered between communities. And yes, of course, they, they still had money um, exchanges, but not to the extent. It was not a consumer-driven society at this time because people were you, still you very, got what very you self-sufficient. Once children were removed from their home, they lost all of those skills and they started to become very, very hmm. dependent on, on others to employ them, others to to give them what they need. And hence, that's how we have consumerism and just the complete obsession that. I was, so we know history repeats itself. I think we're going to get back to a society or where we have small communities that are self-sufficient. Um, I think the government's going to really try hard to fight against that. They don't want us to do that. They want to build their own little what they call smart cities where they control everything where you have to check in and all they know where you are. Uh, but I think the adverse of that is gonna be uh, smaller communities, people joining smaller communities, hopefully not cults, but <laughs> that are more self-sufficient when we're talking about farms and whatnot. So moving to a small town is probably gonna be more beneficial to people uh, in the future than being in the big city. That we have with money and a society that really can no longer do anything for itself. So H.L. Mencken was a satirist, and he was a commentator on things going on in society. Lord, he looks and old. This was the early 1900s, and this is what he had to say, and I think he was spot on. The aim of public education is not to spread enlightenment at all. It is simply to reduce as many individuals as possible to the same safe level to breed and train a standardized citizenry to put down dissent and originality. <laughs> John D. Rockefeller, who created the General Education Board in 1903, said, and I quote, I don't want, I don't a, nation want a nation of thinkers. Of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. They have to dumb down society. See, they, And that's still the same mentality. They want, to, want you to work, 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 work. If you work all your life, you can retire with some money at the end. That we have this quote by the Reverend Frederick T. Gates. Everyone is going to ask me if he is a relative of Bill Gates. 
I looked it up. I didn't find any connections, but that doesn't mean that there is no connection. So anyway, he was the business advisor to John D. Rockefeller Sr. in 1913. The and this is what he had to say about the schools. Again, he was the business advisor to John D. Rockefeller who created the, um, what was it? The General Education Board. Okay. Mm. In our dream, we have limitless resources and the people yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hand. So first of all, they're trying to instill complacency in people, docility, um, trying to kind of mm. beat out their, uh, their will, so to speak. The present educational conventions fade from, from our minds and unhampered by tradition, we work our own goodwill upon a grateful and responsive rural folk. We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of learning or of science. We are not to raise up among them authors, orators, poets, or men of letters. We shall not search for embryo great artists, painters, musicians, nor will we cherish even the humbler ambition to raise up from among them lawyers, doctors, preachers, statesmen, of whom we now have ample supply. Well, I think they succeeded. <laughs> Most kids can't even write in cursive nor write a good sentence. And if you just think about how intelligent people used to be, and even in their simple letters, not anymore. So the question is, then what exactly was it for? If they're not interested in creating men of learning or men of science or painters or musicians or lawyers or doctors because they think they already have enough of them already, why force all these children to go to school? Well, I will tell you why. You need a working class. They are creating, um, well, they were creating a system of obedient factory workers who would just basically do as they were told and who would kind of just follow along beep, boop, beep. and really not have time to think to themselves because they're just doing these mundane tasks all day long. So that is why the school system is set up the way that it is. It is after the factory model because that is what they Now that they got AI, they don't need these people anymore. So what they're going to do? Reduce the population would then move on to these factories and the ringing of the bell and the short periods of time and the constant changing of things. It all leads up to training for these factories, which is why it doesn't make any sense at all that these schools, if they are really about education, why are they still following this factory schooling model when they know that it doesn't work? Well, the reason that they're still using this model is because schools are not about education at all. They are about training. Now, I would say obedient instead of obedient factory workers. And so, really, that's what they got you that responding to that what bell. Started um, the first compulsory school laws. I believe compulsory ah. schooling was around the 1850s. Um, that was when the laws were passed. And of course, it's going to happen when all of these other events with, in the 19th agree with century that, are, are happening. And honestly, the the, the you know, speaking about writing, that is probably um, the biggest asset of the I people behind the social engineering. Because speaking about writing, you know me and my tangents. I've been trying to practice writing backwards just to exercise my brain. Like, try that, like write a sentence back, not not the word backwards, but write the word normal. But start from do like like Asians do. Start from the right side of the page, start your sentence on the right side and write it to the left. 
it's like your brain has to reprogram a whole bunch of stuff. And, and what I find is I'm trying to um, determine how long the word is going to be before I write it. So I don't know. It's a brain exercise. It's a little weird. That's me. I do that. But I always want to keep my brain kind of going because in today's world, <laughs> social media, you find like, oh, my God, my creativity is just let me do what everybody else is doing. You know, <laughs> but I find I'm like I'm not thinking consciously. And so you almost have to try a little bit harder to to stay conscious, if that makes sense. So, yeah, writing backwards has been an exercise for me just for my brain. Just just, you know, talking about, you know, cursive actually does things for your brain when you're writing, too. So I agree with that. Um, there's a there's something with putting your thoughts to paper. That is specifically what it is. It is social engineering. They started socially engineering people to behave and react in a way that was conducive to their goals for the world at large. I still so, yeah, read going from back to the world's left fairs, to right. They, I, just, I try to write from the right they to left the social engineering when I do well. like a journal or something. They were there so that people would like just accept code. the narrative. And especially anybody else reading it, they're going to be like, what? These what is schools, this? They would just Gibberish. accept as they were told and wouldn't bother doing thinking for themselves. They would just think, okay, well, someone who knows more than I do told me that this is the truth. So I'm going to believe it. And that is how we as a society have gotten to where we are today. Because mm -hmm. we have become too complacent through all of this, I'm going to say it again, social engineering, indoctrination. I know people get tired in this day and age of hearing it, but that is exactly what it was all about from the very beginning. And people don't understand that. That's why I'm going off on a tangent, but I have to as a homeschool mom. This is why I get so upset when people want to talk about education reform. Mm. Because they're never going to reform these schools. Do you know why? They're never going to tell because the truth. The schools are doing exactly what they were designed to do. They're not failing, at least not according to what the original plan was for the schools. They're not failing in that manner. They might be failing in the, the public image that they have and what parents and other, and other adults think that they're supposed to be for, but they are not failing. They have been majorly successful. So I'm just going to leave it at that for now because I have done other videos on that and I'm just not going to get into it. Um... So, yeah, so these also contributed to the, the social engineering and to the. And just uh, just just to go on another tangent, speaking about writing from right to left. Um, that's how, you know, the Asians do it. Uh, Arabic is read from right to left. It's only here in the West where we we write left to right. And we also drive on the right side. We, where everybody else is driving. You know, America just does everything different. And I'm wondering if there was a reason for that, even not being on the metric system. You know, we were taught that this, you know, 12 inches, you know, we don't do centimeters. You know, the whole metric system, how we were taught, it changes the way we think. <laughs> just simple. And if you look at kids now, like the way they do math is completely different, you know, than how I was taught when I was in school. So, they're still changing how the brain thinks, especially with kids now. So it's kind of interesting. But that's why I said just trying to practice different things. The idea that there's no reason to think for yourself because other people will do it for you. And yes, again, the Industrial Revolution, major part of the social engineering. 
it is very, very hard for people to be controlled who are independent and self-sufficient, and they could not have that. They had to have people who were more easily controlled and were more easily to be gathered together and to be able to sway in one direction or another, which With is why fear. we see all this division. We've got this manufactured division. Okay. We've got the Republicans and the Democrats who are, they're, they're like uh, two sides of the same coin. That's it's just manufactured division. That's what that is. Seems like it's social engineering. And that makes us easier oh. for them to control because if we're too busy fighting with each other, we're not going to see what they are doing. It seems they're that downsizing the form of enjoyment. Just anyway, McDonald's so the last places. thing that I'm going to show you everything looks sterile. Is, and I'm hoping that yeah. through everything. I think I did. I'm going to go back to the um, post that I started with. Yeah, nothing's funny anymore. Nothing's for kids anymore. It seems. Actually, I'm not going to go back to the post that I started with. I did actually it's kind of sad for the section kids. that I wanted to talk about, and that was all of these um, quote religious visions or movements that were started around the same time. So we've got these cataclysms, the New Madrid earthquakes, and Mount Tambora eruption. We've got the the night the stars fell going on. We have all of this other stuff going on. Okay. And just what, and that seems like a pivotal moment. That is when something happened. And yes, I believe that it's something biblical that happened at that time. And if we do have the dragon being cast down the earth and all of his angels following with him, all of a sudden we have these people seeing these visions, these supposed visions. Um, so in 1823, Joseph Smith the founder of the Mormons. Mormon religion claims to have had a vision of the angel Moroni and he uh, to instruct Joseph about restoring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was the start of the Mormon religion. Then we have around the same time, um, Margaret MacDonald, she, she actually started the origin of rapture theology mm. now i do believe that when jesus comes back we are going to be resurrected um but i i have serious doubts of the pre-tribulation rapture um so anyway we go to church and we hear they spelled here wrong fabulous teachings of a rapture yeah, however the dragons we, home, we can't find the word that is because the rapture is not in the bible and does not come from any bible reference it comes from the ecstatic utterances of margaret mcdonald in 1830 i'm going to say at this point right now that i know that some of you are not liking to hear this i'm going to leave a link in the description box that i'm religiously that open is wonderfully well, spiritual explains I'm not this whole idea Anyway. I now see, especially when it comes to biblical prophecy, I've heard so many things about biblical prophecy that it's already it's already been done. Like, what is it saying? Like, it's it's actually uh, talking about a historical event that already happened. Um, but I've heard some people who uh, claim that the first part of Revelation has already happened and we're waiting for the judgment. Like, that's what's going on right now. Like the thousand years of Christ's reign already happened. And we're now, I guess, in the thousand years of the devil's reign. There was something where the, the where the beast was let out of the pit and was let to reign for a thousand years. Some people are saying we're in that period. So not too many people are in agreement of where are we on this whole revelations thing? 
you know, are we in that this? Because, I mean, the world is kind of crazy right now. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, in 1830, Margaret MacDonald had a series of visions that were picked up by John Darby, Edward Irving and John Pusey. And yeah, so this actually talks about where the rapture theology came from. And this was also, again, this was in 1830. So 1830. three years before the, um, actually around the same year that Joseph Smith, or pretty close to it when he saw the angel Moroni, when he says he saw the angel Moroni. And then we have this going on about three years before the night stars fell, which again, I would say not to really worry too much about specific years. Then we have Ellen White had some visions and she is the one who started the seventh day Adventist church. And this happened to her in 1844 that she started to have some visions. So what was going on sudden, at Pisces during that time? Lord, starting all of these. I need to check the astrology back um, then movements. And here we have Mary Baker Eddy. And she also had some visions, and she is the one who, who created uh, Christian science. And so, her. Let's see. I know that she had an she had um, an injury. I was born at the wrong time. People are having visions and they are getting famous. <laughs> yeah, you tell somebody I had a vision, they were like, "Get out of here!" And she fell. Nowadays, it was shortly after that when she was. Um, Recovering, so it was in 1866 that she had her visions, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, that started Christian Science. So again, on top of all this other stuff going on, you also have all of these visions and religious movements that are being started around the same time. So, something happened. I believe it was some sort of reset that began with the cataclysms. And I believe that the transitional period That's a religious was reset. the cover-up and then kind of the social engineering of people. And I believe that it was around 1890 when they kind of just, maybe you could call it the new beginning. I don't know. Because if you look at a lot of cities and towns, you will find that they were either founded or established in 1890. Mm -hmm. You will find that the buildings in your town were probably built around 1890 or 1900. My house was built in 1890. I've looked up most of the houses and buildings around here. They were all built between 1890 and 1900. And you will find that in, in most areas that that is the case. So something significant happened around that time as well. So what it is, I, I'm not sure. Exactly. I'm just here to ask the questions. That's all that I have for you today. If you like this video, give it a thumbs up. Yeah, you guys can check out the full video. I only did probably, I think I showed y'all just a, a good chunk of it, but I didn't show you the beginning. So if you want to see the whole whole video, the link is in the description. Um, her channel's called There's No Place Like Home. Really great. She does a lot of research. And um, if you're interested in that type of thing, check her out because she'll open your mind to some other things. Also, um, what's another channel? Dane Calloway, check out his. He does more history on Black America, and his, that's his focus. Either way, they're both saying the same thing. We've been we've been lied to, y'all. <laughs> Whatever we were taught in school was a lie, and I don't know if it was just a revisionist or. Uh, we're kind of going through that still again, 
in this day and time. And I really feel like, you know, with Pluto and stuff going, having United States having this Pluto return, <sighs> life as we know it, it's about to change again. And uh, like I said, they're not really worried about you and me. We're the adults. And as they do in the past, they just wait for the adults to die out and then they uh, restart with the kids. Um, if you have kids, hopefully you, you're educating them on what you know, the best you know how. Write things down. I know Natalie was talking about getting a journal. Yes, keep a journal, uh, an actual paper to pen one, um, because anything you put online can be deleted. Just know that, okay? <laughs> and, if, and if there's stuff that you research online that you really like, print it out. And I'm... I, I just have a feeling that they're going to just do a major censorship of the of the Internet and just start deleting stuff that is not, quote unquote, what they deem appropriate. They've already started and um, they want more control. So uh, now that they have AI, you can just basically program AI to just, like I said, make things disappear or unsearchable. So um, <laughs> as the Internet becomes smaller and smaller, and smaller. That's just my tips and my advice on how to navigate this little crazy world that we're living in. But like I said, everything will be choice. We'll have choices. You just gotta know that you have a choice uh, of what to do. And if you feel like you're being forced to do something or believe something or in this little cubby hole, just know that's an illusion. You always have choice. That's what I'm saying, like with these smart cities and stuff that they're trying to normalize, uh, people living in smaller spaces and in, in the city, I think you'll have a choice to join a smaller community of your own liking or just to live out there in the great beyond. But um, being self-sufficient can be scary. That's what they want you to be. They want you to be fearful of not being dependent on the government. Um, they don't want you to be uh, self-sufficient or autonomous, uh, but that's where we need to go. We need to, our freedom is on the other side of fear. So um, great video. I uh, hope you guys liked it. Like I said, I just wanted to share that with you because I was just watching it sitting on my couch, and I said, "Well, let me bring y'all into the into the uh, into the the the, the viewing." <laughs> I do it in VR too, but that's the next. We can talk about VR later. I, I'm seeing where VR is going. I have a headset. We can talk about that later. I have to put my words together in my head, Mercury and Pisces, before I share that with you. That's a whole nother ball of wax. Thanks guys for joining me. Uh, keep on subscribing to this channel, liking these videos. You know I'm shadow banned on this side. Uh, and if you want to uh, see my tarot stuff, go to Tarot by Montre and <laughs> subscribe there. Uh, it's starting to grow. I'm starting to see it. And so I'm definitely seeing the difference between being shadow banned and not shadow banned. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it's happening over here on YouTube too. So you guys have a great day. Enjoy the rest and make your reality happen, because if you don't do it, then who will? <laughs>